You're listening to Shine On, a podcast presented by Solar Power Europe, the European Association for Solar Power. Join us as we shine a light on the latest developments in the solar sector. Hello and welcome to Shine On, a podcast presented by Solar Power Europe. I'm your host, Lucas Clark Memler, and in this new series, Solar Success in Africa, I will discuss inspiring solar projects from across the continent with a range of guests. This series has been developed in cooperation with Get Invest, a European program that aims at mobilizing investments in decentralized renewable energy projects, supported by the EU, Germany, Sweden, the Netherlands, and Austria. In this episode, I'm happy to have the chance to speak with Rupesh Hindocha, founder and group CEO of Premier Solar Group. So thanks for being here today, Rupesh. Thank you, Lucas. My pleasure. And can I ask where you're calling in from? Yes, today I'm calling in from Dubai. Okay, great. And what's what's the weather like in Dubai today? Finally getting more pleasant after a very hot summer. So we've got 32 degrees and sun, which is perfect. Okay, a mild 32. Exactly. Okay, so why don't we begin with you introducing yourself to our listeners and discussing the background and mission of uh, the Premier Solar Group. Absolutely, thank you. So my name is Rupesh Indocha and I'm the founder and group CEO of Premier Solar Group. As a group, we are involved in the end-to-end solution provisions for distributed solar PV generation. And the sector that we focus on for this is the the sort of core commercial and industrial sectors. We're present in India, Sri Lanka, the UAE, and East Africa via our office in Nairobi, Kenya. In terms of the solutions we provide, it's both, as I said, distributed solar PV generation and surrounding sort of energy efficiency solutions, predominantly, as I said, to the commercial and industrial sector with a large focus on manufacturing, horticulture, agriculture, and recently education and healthcare. The mission for Premier Solar, specifically to Africa, is to really scale up the use of distributed solar PV to both improve the user's reliance and reliability of the energy supply, but also reduce the cost and, of course, reduce their environmental footprint. Mm. And I'm wondering now if we can talk a little bit about your experience in Africa. So perhaps first, why you chose to set up an office in Africa in general and, and Kenya more specifically. And if there was anything particular about the regulatory framework in Kenya or the energy mix that made it attractive? Sure, sure. I'll start with why Africa first. As I said, our footprint covers several regions, including Middle East and South Asia. To us, Africa was a, as a continent, was a very important destination for the services we provide, primarily due to to, to client demand. So clients that we have existing, clients that we already had from other businesses within sub-Saharan Africa regularly complain of both reliability of their energy supply and therefore having to use very, very expensive diesel generators, the outright cost of the grid power, but also a, a, a new desire to most definitely reduce their environmental footprint. So the region for us, you know, unlike, say, for example, in the Middle East, where in the UAE, the power supply is extremely stable and reliable, prices are, are relatively fair. Um, That was not something that we found uh, as a whole in Africa. In regards to why East Africa, well, I have to say I'm slightly biased. I'm from Uganda, born and bred. My mother's side is from Tanzania and my wife's side are from Kenya. 
So clearly East Africa was, uh, was our mm. first okay. destination. We're not limited to East Africa. In fact, we've already started to look at expansion into, into the DRC, into Zambia. And as a group, we have other businesses in Sierra Leone. So we're also looking at providing Premier Solar's services there as well. But for us, East Africa was the natural starting point for, for our journey within Sub-Saharan. Why Kenya within that? Obviously, Kenya is the largest economy within the East African community. It, it, it serves as the hub for that region. And a lot of manufacturing, which, which is primarily one of our biggest sectors of target, manufacturing is dominant in, in Kenya. So, so clearly that was our first office. We have just recently, having obviously been stalled for, for COVID reasons, just opened our office in Uganda. So we do go live there l- later on this year. But I think always Kenya will be our regional office. What we see in Kenya in terms of a dynamic, very identifiable in, in Rwanda, in Uganda, and in Tanzania. And of course, those four countries act as a, as a block in terms of customs, etc. So that is our obvious next expansion. That said, the same dynamics are now appearing in, in the DRC, in Zambia, in Nigeria, etc. So what we're doing is relatively replicatable in other countries of course, using local regulations. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. And again, on that note about regulations, I think that's something that comes up, especially with European providers and, and European companies, is, is a fear of, of Africa due to regulatory challenges or, or infrastructural limitations. So I think let's start with perhaps you discussing these challenges and some of the difficulties of setting up in Africa, and then later we'll move on to the successes. Sure. L- look, I, I know there is a, a common view and in sometimes a misconception that working in Africa is really, really difficult and setting up a business is extraordinarily difficult. I'm going to limit my responses at the moment to where we are actually currently setting up or have already set up, which is predominantly East Africa. And I can tell you, for example, that setting up a company in Uganda or, or Tanzania or Kenya or even Rwanda, which, which is even faster, is, is less than a two-week process, as long as you obviously arrive at your destination with the pre-required documents, which are all very clearly identifiable within the investment authority of Kenya or Uganda, etc. Setting up your company, setting up your tax, setting up your VAT, etc., were all for us, as easy as, as doing them in, in countries like Dubai, etc. With specific regards to energy, of course, there are regulatory and health and safety reasons why it's going to be a cumbersome affair. And I think it's a very valid reason that, you know, given that there's a health and safety aspect and given that we are ultimately selling equipment that generates powers to consumers that may not necessarily be in the power industry, Yes, the process of getting your licenses and approvals to set up, for example, a solar company can take time. But again, I think it's very clear cut what is required, the types of engineers, et cetera, that you require, and what kind of equipment safety measures are are required. Now, that differs from country to country. If you look at Kenya, it's highly advanced in the regulatory framework for solar and for renewables in general. And therefore, yes, you will find everything online as you go to some countries which are maybe only just starting their journey towards self-generation, then maybe the regulatory framework will still be in progress and therefore difficult to find everything online. But I think that everything is manageable as long as you go with the expectation that things won't happen overnight on the regulatory side. And then it's a case of working with regulators. And 
if you can show them that you're doing the similar businesses in, in Dubai or in India or wherever else in Europe, for example, and you can show them that you're trying to work with them to bring in best practices, we found the regulators in each, each of the countries that we're now operating or about to operate very hospitable, very open to, to discussions. And we worked, for example, very closely in 2019 with the EPRA, which is the energy regulator in Kenya. And they've now announced a whole new set of regulations, which of course will be phased in so that people get time to adopt them. But they will be sort of European class regulations around, for example, rooftop solar, not just the electrical safety, but the, the, the sort of health and safety with regards to climbing roofs and working at heights, etc. So, you know, yes, it can be cumbersome and not everything is online, but I think that the opportunity is sufficient for, for enough time to be allocated to do the prerequisite work required to get the licenses. And regulatory bodies are definitely approving. And I hear from some of my colleagues that are working in Southern and Western Africa that the same is happening there as well. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's helpful to know. And I think that just demystifying the experience for a lot of listeners will will sort of yeah op- open their eyes to these new opportunities. And, and then obviously the, the last sort of, uh, I, I work with a lot with international investors and unfortunately mm-hmm. Africa as a continent has a stigma attached to it with regards to difficulty of doing business due to corruption, etc. I think if you go to your host country, wherever you're looking to do business, with the attitude that you want to do everything correctly, then you will find that way to do everything correctly. And there is no need to worry about you know having to participate in, in corrupt practices to get your way. That is just a stigma that's probably you know invalid in a lot of countries that we operate in. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you, you mentioned international investors and that Brings me to the next question in terms of financing, which is obviously a challenge, you know, for solar projects anywhere. Yeah. But perhaps you can speak a little bit about this, the specifics of financing your projects in Kenya sure. and any instruments or institutions you were able to call on for support. Okay, sure. So I think we were a little bit fortunate that as we entered Kenya, being our first country in Sub-Saharan Africa that we entered, we were fortunate that we had existing businesses here in the UAE, in Sri Lanka, and in India. And a lot of those businesses were also financed by the by the international finance community and specifically the DFIs and a lot of them out of Europe. So we, we were a little bit lucky in the sense that we already had experience of, of attracting international capital into solar projects in other parts of the world. When we arrived in Kenya in 2017 to set up Premier Solar, the international financiers had already got comfortable in Uganda, in Kenya obviously in South Africa and many other parts of the continent with regards to large-scale solar projects. And a lot of the DFI community and the, the likes of the World Bank, Power Africa, etc., had worked with government bodies to, to improve the PPAs, make them more bankable, regulatory environment about land, etc., had already been approved. So solar financing for us, thankfully, had already been adopted within the region. The problem that we faced was that what we call distributed generation was something that really wasn't adopted yet by the international finance community. Each project is too small for a a large lender to look at. So it has to be on a portfolio basis. So we, we set about working together with local financiers to set up a solar finance company in Kenya that large lenders can lend into and then 
in return, the, the, the fund will then lend to individual projects. And that is how we really kick-started the, the solar C&I market in Kenya, and that's how we intend to sort of expand into, into neighboring countries. Equity-wise, which everybody assumes is, is really difficult to get, there is a plethora of both private equity, impact money, and of course, as I said, DFI money, high net worth individuals, all looking for the stable returns that solar provides over a long period of time. So we've actually had less problems, and the European government via its initiative Get, in- Get Investors helped us raise that. So I think finance is clearly important for solar. It's a very high capital expenditure industry, and we're only now starting to see the catalytic impact of finance, let's say, that's starting to trickle into, into the C&I industry. At the smaller scale, where the household, solar household industry, is similar, similarly seeing the same growth that we're experiencing in the C&I sector because capital is continuously being unlocked into, this, into these subsectors of solar. And with regards to COVID, I don't think the money has disappeared. Of course, it's slowed down whilst people take a step back and look at the events, how they unfold. But again, even right now, there's been plenty of announcements in the last four weeks alone across the continent of new equity or debt being raised for, for all sectors within solar. That's, that's great. And I think a good overview of the, the sort of the nitty gritty of financing and of, of setting up. But let's, let's move on now to actually discussing the, the impact and the effect of premier solar projects and sort of, you know, sort of the theme of the series is this idea of, of solar projects on the African continent improving the lives of people in the region. So not only being a, an attractive investment and an opportunity to exploit, but also you know, very tangible and, and positive effects. So can you maybe touch on that a little bit? Sure. So the obviously direct impact that we have is through our training programs. So we take relatively fresh graduates or or lightly experienced solar technicians, and then we provide the training so that over a period of time, they get exposure to both small and large projects, rooftop and ground mount, standard solar, hybrid solar, and sometimes even, you know, sort of other elements of energy efficiency, wind or water, solar water heating, etc. So they get a depth of experience and become far more marketable within the region. I suppose that's the direct impact we have on, on the people of, for now, East Africa, where we're focused. The indirect impact we have is much larger. If you look at even pre-COVID, East African, but this is also generalized into sub-Saharan countries, suffer from an imbalance of domestic manufacturing versus imports. This has profound impacts on their balance of payments, on their currencies. And we know that nearly every country that we look into has a, a desire to improve their domestic manufacturing capacity, which of course has a direct impact on their local employment. At the moment, what one of the things that prohibits local manufacturing from expanding uh, versus, say, cheap imports from Asia, Southeast Asia and South Asia is the cost of energy because energy is a large component within the manufacturer's cost. There are only two large components outside of their raw materials. It's labor which is very well priced and also very good quality uh, in the countries that we operate in. But the biggest impediment they have is both the quality of the power they get, i.e. disruptions to their business processes, uh, and also the cost. What we do improves both the reliability of the power and, of course, the cost. Thereby, we have manufacturers, for example, exporting 
clothes and competing with some of the powerhouses of clothing manufacturing in in South Asia. And they're doing it from Kenya and they're doing it because they're able to compete with good logistics within Kenya, right near the port, but also the availability of cheaper, greener power. That has a much bigger impact. The client that we're working on right now in Nairobi employs 30,000 people. If they were to look to move to another country, that would be a large impact on Kenya's employment rate. So I think the the secondary impact we have, of course, is, is far greater than the direct impact. Outside of that, of course, we're reducing CO2 emissions. The longer term impact on the youth uh, of the countries we operate in will obviously unfold over over a period of time. But clearly, it's highly proven that uh, CO2 emission is clearly what's required for the, for the youth of today to actually survive. Mm, no, that's, that's impressive. So let's talk more specifically about uh, Premier Solar's projects. And I think we can start with the Kenya rooftop project that, that you've already mentioned, which correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I believe is the largest in the history of Kenya? It will be. So it was done in multi-phases. We work okay. We work very directly with our clients. We have an extremely strong relationship with our clients, so we sit with them. So we only give them, solar is, is very modular, so we only give them what they need at any point in time. The constraints, of course, we have is the size of the rooftop, and that project that you showcased a few months back doesn't have a capacity constraint when it comes to the size of the rooftop, just because the footprint of the factory is very large. So the initial project was 850 kilowatts. The second project that the client has now already signed will take the total size to 1.9 megawatts. And that, yes, by the time that's finished, middle of next year, that will be the, at currently, that will be the largest rooftop project in East Africa. Of course, these projects are always coming along. So we're already working on one that potentially, if we sign, will be bigger than that. But for the moment, that will be the largest. The client is a manufacturer of many, many FMCG products to to the masses of East Africa and is using the cheaper power to expand their product range and and lower their prices of day-to-day goods such as cooking oil. So so clearly something that, again, is impacting the people around who are buying their products. So yeah, very nice project for us. was quite a difficult project just due to the the height of the roofs and and the number of roofs, but the client's extremely happy, hence signing the second project with us. So yeah, that's one of our flagship projects in Kenya. Mm. And on to another of your projects, uh, a more agricultural project related to the flower farm. And uh, maybe here you can speak more directly to any lessons learned or the experience with grid integration and how, you know, for instance, this is you know agricultural versus a rooftop project yeah. and things like that. Yeah. So Asarian Flower Farm in Nivasha, Kenya is one of the largest exporters of roses into, into Europe. It's been around for 60 odd years. And not only are they a scale player in, in, in the horticultural sector, Thankfully for us, they have an extremely keen interest in sustainability, and they were already highly sustainable even before they put the solar in. So before we constructed the solar plant at the flower farm, they were already running on geothermal rather than grid, so clearly cleaner. uh, And they had a lot of other initiatives with regards to sustainability. They invited us to tender for a ground mount solar project which we ultimately won in late 2017. And then we had to go through a rigorous process of getting some some licenses for generation because it was over a megawatt size. Having done that and then doing the necessary surveys for, for the construction work, we found that the first, cons- or first problem that we encountered was this particular region has very, very high winds. 
that occur at least 10 times a year and can take a one hectare greenhouse and throw it into the air. So clearly the first problem we've had is our ground mount solar insulation mm. needed to stay the test of time and wind. So a lot of work was done with, with international experts on, on exactly the foundation analysis for the rooftop. And we're happy to say that after about 12 of these or 13 now of these high wind events, the, the plant has stayed put and not moved at all. But it took a lot of civil engineering work to get to that. The second problem we had is that this was probably the first hybrid solar geothermal plant in the entire world. Nobody has ever to this day that we're aware of integrated a solar plant into a geothermal existing generation. So it had its own difficulties that we faced with regards to ensuring that once we went live with the solar generation, it could actually play well with, with what is the geothermal plants. And there are two geothermal plants as well. So a lot of time was spent with computer engineers rather than solar engineers to make sure that the, the system that we installed from a control perspective could control the, the solar and the geothermal and of course the grid and the diesel generators, etc. So very exciting. A lot of hard work went into that. And initially we did have problems. It wasn't in the generation uh, or the or the let's say the integration of the solar with the with the geothermal. It was with clouds, and this is a problem that the solar industry faces globally. Of course, when a cloud passes by, the generation from the solar plant drops immediately, and the time lag it took to ramp up the geothermal, and then once the clouds had passed to ramp down the geothermal again, was a problem, and that is a problem that we've had to deal with manually for the moment while we're about to install a large storage battery storage unit there so that we can get rid of these peaks and troughs or, or volatility in the solar generation because the geothermal isn't as fast as the grid would be to to take the shortfall drop in generation from solar and then and then stop it again as the clouds pass by so so the integration from a variability of solar production has been a challenge the client luckily for us has worked with us all the way through knowing in advance that we had warned them that this was a potential problem but it's been an exciting project. Again, the client has mandated us to expand the solar part of their total energy generation. So, you know, very happy with that. But as I said, we're going to have to introduce a large battery bank to, to smooth out the process there. Mm. And I think you've, I mean, for both of these projects, you mentioned that the client is now looking to, to expand and, and to continue. So that brings me neatly to the next question, which has to do with future plans and, and sort of what's, you know, what are the next projects on the horizon, whether expansion or whether new projects and new markets? Yeah, so we're, we're facing, as a lot of companies around the world have faced for the last six months, we're facing now a bit of a backlog of projects that we'd already signed but were unable to execute for the last six to seven months due to obviously restrictions put in place. At the same time, as I said, solar adoption across East Africa is growing and therefore, we have existing customers looking for new projects, but also new clients coming in. So 2021 and 22 set to be uh, record years for us in the region. Clearly, logistics, health and safety measures have been further problematic, let's say, and we're planning for that in 21-22. So we're increasing the manpower we have, et cetera, to, to take account of the additional logistical issues we believe we'll face together with enhanced health and safety around COVID. But no, I mean, you know, one of our selling points is the fact that it's energy is a large component of most businesses spend and in this environment clearly most businesses are looking now to reduce costs 
And this is a great way of reducing your cost and, of course, your environmental footprint, rather than, of course, looking at other things such as redundancies, etc. So we're seeing a, a, a very good project build up for 21-22. Clearly, we're on a, a bit of a issue right now that we can't get into the region freely as much as we'd like to, but plans are to, to start hiring more people in November, December. And of course, next year to build up a maybe double the team within the next 12 months. So yeah, a lot of expansion plans already underway. Yeah, it looks like the next few years will be, will be very big for you, which is exciting. Um, looking ahead even further, let's say to the next decade, I'm wondering what changes you expect to see you know, we can say in the East African solar sector, or if you want to, you know, go bigger and just say sort of across the continent. I think that, yeah, I I think it's not going to be East Africa specific. It's going to be continental trends. First of all, as you fly over the continent, do not be surprised to see large solar parks popping up across the region, together with some countries, obviously, including Kenya, having large amounts of wind power and therefore wind turbines as you fly over them as well. So I think the the shift at a government level or a national level from thermal power or conventional power to renewable is something that is not going to slow down. And we're seeing that, of course, across the globe. From our sector, again, already as you fly into Nairobi, into Entebbe, Kampala, uh, and many other cities, we're already starting to see rooftops full of solar, just as we do when we fly into Europe or the UAE, etc., uh, and I think that trend is set to continue as pressure grows on corporates, both to to reduce costs, but most importantly, there is a global pressure uh, mounting on everyone to to reduce their environmental footprint. So I think you know that trend is there to continue. As these two trends develop, though, I think you're going to see a change in the landscape, the same that we have seen in Europe, the US, and the Middle East, and of course now in South Asia, where the historical government-owned usually utilities actually take a more defined role and a lot of the generation is, is now no longer within their remit and their and their idea is to obviously expand the grid maybe to areas that are required but not into the rural areas because I think you'll see the mini-grid sector taking over from there. And I think you're going to start seeing a lot of these mammoth utilities being scaled down and really being focused on on distribution and leaving the generation side to, to the private sector. And that may well be a blessing for the region as a whole, because one of the biggest reasons for the unreliability and high cost of, of power has been, you know, the inefficiencies of large government-owned utilities. Yeah, so it, it should be an exciting solar future for Africa and and, and for the world. But no, this, this, is, this has been really helpful uh, for me, as as an introduction uh, to the market, and I'm sure for our listeners as well, just as I said before, sort of demystifying all of it. So do, do you have any final message to send to our listeners, especially those who were unfamiliar with, with African solar projects before and you know might have an interest um, in them now? Sure. I mean, I don't think I need to sell solar to your listeners. I think most of your listeners are fully bought into the, to the benefits, <laughs> probably right. uh, the long-term benefits of solar and the growth of the solar industry. When it comes to Africa, my number one advice to anybody, whether they are investors or solar companies looking to, to expand into the region is, you know, not everything you read, as we all know, not everything you read on the internet is true. Africa has a lot of opportunities when it comes to renewables, solar specifically, and within solar, there are opportunities in the utility scale, the C&I scale, 
the mini grid sector as well as the solar household sector and of course water heating etc there has been a massive shift over the last 30 years with regards to investment protection within many of the countries within sub-saharan africa a lot of treaties are in place to provide new investors or, or new businesses coming into the region with you know with assurances that there is a course of action that could be taken that will prevent any kind of loss etc so you know i i whilst i understand that there are always occasions when uh, an investment can go wrong i think that's globally that's not africa specific but we encourage all investors and solar companies to to you know to look at the region with the opportunity that we see and of course to reach out to the multitude of different players already on the continent if they ever want any advice because i think when we're when we're on the continent we we all sort of acknowledge that we're there to to give as much positive advice as we can with a realistic narrative that you know things if they're done correctly will work well but you need to play within the confines of of rules and regulations within each country Thanks for that, Rupesh. My pleasure. And yeah, best of luck with all of the future projects. Thank you. And obviously, uh, thank you for inviting me for this podcast. It's, it's great to get the word out there, both for the company and also just for the region. Excellent. Good to talk. Thank you. Many emerging markets are outpacing developed markets in terms of solar scale-up while other attractive markets still lack capital and infrastructure for large-scale deployment. Solar Power Europe's Emerging Markets Workstream identifies business and cooperation opportunities in emerging markets outside of Europe, with the aim of contributing to energy transitions around the world. Get Invest is a European program supported by the European Union, Germany, Sweden, the Netherlands, and Austria, which supports investments in decentralized renewable energy projects. It targets private sector business and project developers, financiers, and regulators to build sustainable energy markets. Learn more at www.get-invest.eu. Thanks for listening, and until next time, shine on.